got some questions. Go! You're feeling stressed, man. Go! Put on your GPS and go! I'm dirt, dirt, something is glistening. Download and listen to Tia, Katie, Chris, and Houston. You should go! Welcome back to the Go Dig a Hole podcast. Uh, this is your host, Chris. Uh, my pronouns are he, him. And uh, it. I'm joined today by an influential poster and <laughs> a CRM archaeologist in California, Elliot Helmer. Uh, Elliot, uh, you want to say hi and uh, tell folks kind of w- what you're up to? Uh, hello. Hi. Um, uh, I'm Elliot. As Chris said, my pronouns are they, them. Um, I work in CRM full-time in California right now, but I'm also a doctoral candidate at Washington State University, um, which means that I'm uh, deeply burnt out. Um, and instead of working on my dissertation, I am on a podcast. So I have my priorities in order. Uh, <laughs> and that's, yeah. And I'm, and I'm a very influential poster. I have, I'm, I'm, I'm an influencer in archaeology as far as the archaeology influences go, which is to say that like random tenured professors comment on my tweets sometimes. <laughs> you told me one today where someone, someone thanked you for your work raising awareness uh, yes, by yeah. reading your tweets. Um, yes, yeah. But, you know, it's, it's part of public discourse. My hard activist work of just bitching online. God, look at the boys. I know that we're recording, but look at them. They do this every time. It's Artie and Baloo are wrestling right now. How does anybody ever focus on your podcast when they're talking? Or even on my work calls. Like I, I feel like most of my day is spent in front of the computer on calls and the dogs are just always there messing around. I feel like it's just expected now that there's going to be a dog around me or in the background. Yeah, I like just pick my camera up and point it at Owen and I make people look at the dog. Yeah. So, look at the boy. Look at him, don't listen to what I'm saying and the fact that I'm behind on all those reports. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I don't know. I don't have anything else to say about myself. I guess I work in, um, I work in the Pacific Northwest. My research is in the Pacific Northwest. Um, so that and... California are my like areas of expertise. So basically I've got the whole continental West coast covered. I don't know what's going on in Alaska. You know, Alaska is the last state that I have not been to. I've been to the other 49. I've been to like maybe 12 less if we're not counting. Like I drove through it so I could say that I went to that state. <laughs> yeah. Like when I did field school in Connecticut, I, on one of our weekends, I made somebody drive me to Rhode Island so I could check off a state. We went yeah. to the mall. I got Duncan because I was like, I have to like do something. I can't just drive into it. I got to go buy Duncan. I got to go to a mall. I've been to Rhode Island now. It, it counts now. Yeah. I've got the experience. Yeah. Um, so we have a whole bunch of ideas that we'll eventually get around to talking about on probably many episodes. Um, But today we wanted to talk about the challenges of public archeology. span And this is something that, you know, you and I have been chatting about for a long time uh, as you know, we've shared kind of funny stories about uh, public opinions of archeology span uh, 
and so you sent over a, a chart about kind of what uh, the different types of audiences are. And um, I guess, do you, do you want to introduce kind of like the, the, the main theory, the main, the main idea? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, like, I mean, I'm sure everybody already knows that, but like generally the idea, right, of public archaeology is that you're talking to the public, educating them about archaeology, except that public is singular in that sort of phrase, whereas there are like multiple publics and people that like work in communications will like tell you that it's multiple audiences, mm. different, you know, people in the public with different priorities and et cetera, et cetera. And um, sort of the way that I think about it um, in terms of like how you can like very easily break down like an audience on like any sort of thing that you're trying to educate people on. But like the way that I was like thinking about it when we decided that we were going to sort of talk about public archaeology was sort of breaking it down into like a, like four groups, which basically if you're like imagining, like imagine a Punnett square in your brain. And so we've got like two axes. There's educate, like educated, like people who know what archaeology is, know how archaeology is practiced, are like really familiar with the actual like practice of archaeology beyond like an Indiana Jones, I know the word archaeology sort of sense. And then the other like sort of um, access being engagement or interest, like people who are like invested in doing archaeology or interested in what archaeology is doing or like engaged in like achieving its goals, um, whether or not they're like practicing, practicing it or they're just interested in those things. Um, and then sort of with those two axes, we've got like a public of like the educated and engaged people who are archaeologists, the people who we know about archaeology and we're obviously we're deeply engaged in it. <laughs> but I would say that that also sort of includes like, you know, anybody that's like actively involved in heritage management. So like um, indigenous activists and other descendant communities that are working in heritage, um, local historical societies, um, you know, those like local museums that are so fun to stop to on like long road trips, uh -huh. like a one room museum. Those people are, you know, they, they know like more about that like local area than anything. So they're definitely educated. They're definitely engaged. And so obviously in terms of public archaeology, we don't really need to talk to those people. Those people were sort of, they're, we're trying to get people to that sort of demographic. We want everybody to be educated and engaged, right? Um, and then on the like flip side, there are like the other three groups then are sort of variations on these things. So we have people who are educated, but they're disengaged. So they like know what archaeology is and they do actually know like how like cultural resource management functions in the world. Um, but they like do not care about it. They're not interested. They're not engaged in like how it like invested in its like goals. <laughs> um, and, and I'm, and this is like, so not to generalize, but like the group that I would sort of put in there are like, like developers, like clients, like agencies that are like trying to get stuff done and they view archaeology as like, we're in the way, you know, yeah. they, they know what archaeology is. They understand the process because they have to deal with it all the time. They just don't get it. Do not care about it. Like don't understand why we have, they have to spend so much money so that we can dig some holes. Um, like this is like the kind of thing where I was wine tasting um, with a friend once and this like drunk couple came up and asked the like, us to take pictures of them. And then they, they offered to take a picture of us. And so we were like chatting um after a long day of wine tasting and they <laughs> inevitably asked oh well, what do you guys do like and I said I was an archaeologist which I really need to come up with a good lie because I telling people you're an archaeologist just like 
opens like a whole conversation, which usually is like a, they're very interested. This was not that. This guy was like a, he was like a, owned a construction company and he was oh, like, no. oh, you. And I was like, oh my God. Oh no. And he was like, <laughs> I, I mean, he was trying to be like friendly about it, but you could tell like mostly just because he was with like his wife and his wife's yeah. friend. But he was like, you know, there's all these projects and he's telling me about his projects and ranting about how X, Y, or you know, the archaeologist on that project ruined his life or whatever and like added all this money to his project. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know what to tell you, dude. It sounds like you were building your putting your building on top of something kind of important. So yeah, I don't know what to tell you, guy. And that's like, you know, he knows what an archaeologist is. And he's like, I feel like those people that work in like construction and development and stuff are like the only members of the public that know what cultural resource management is <laughs> because they like actually have to deal with it. Um, and, but they just don't care. And then, um, the sort of blank slate sort of demographic of the public are the people who don't know what archeology span actually is. And they just never have really cared to know. And that's sort of like, that's really easy to deal with. Cause you're not dealing with any sort of like prejudices there. Um, that's like the really, like the general public, like the everyday person who has really yeah. no opinion either way. Um, and it would be really easy to sort of just go after those people, except for that there is another group, because I said there was four and we've only talked about three and I can count. And the other one I have uh, labeled here is the uneducated, but the engaged. Oh, they don't no. know what they're talking about, but they really, really fucking care. About it. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I can swear on this podcast, but I did. Yes, you um, can. Excellent. Um, yeah. So. What I'm when I'm calling the educated and engaged, I'm sure that any archaeologist like is familiar with this crowd. The it's it's History Channel, it's like pseudo archaeology, it's Jared Diamond, it's Ancient Aliens guy. Like you know, they have all of these you know thoughts about archaeology and the way it really is, and they know the fucking truth. And the archaeologists are hiding it from the public yeah. because clearly, you know, we don't want the public to know anything about archaeology, which is why we're having a podcast right now about public archaeology, because we really want to hide <laughs> the realities of it. <laughs> right. Um, and in, like, in addition to, like, those people who have, like, a really vested interest in, like, you know, like, they think that they are the ones that should be educating the public on archaeology, like, those people. And then there's the people who are, like, it's like the public that they are really speaking to, the people who really are interested in archaeology, they just don't know what archaeology really is. And they're interested in this weird fake version of archaeology that they like think is real. Like, you know, they're these are like, you know, the people that sort of inspired this podcast, which is the like the everyday person that like, you know, you hear they're an archaeologist and they are like, oh my God, I've got this rock that I've been carrying around for 20 years. Will you look at it and tell me? like how old it is and like what kind of ritual was used in. And I'm like, it's a rock. It's I don't just know. Just a rock. <laughs> and like, these are the people that are like, I mean, I know you have like your own like stories about it from like the CRM side, but like from like academia, these are the people that call departments. They just like cold call anthropology departments to be like, 
I think I found something. Like, I swear to God, 90% of the time, the um, the woman who runs the office at our d- department, she's got her like phone headset on and she's walking around the department. And half the time you can hear hear what she's talking about. And it's like almost always like some like random person who's called to be like, <laughs> I found this thing. I, you know, found Bigfoot because we have a Bigfoot reputation at Washington State University. So like, there's a lot of like those calls. I know that like, <laughs> you know, I know that at like UC Santa Cruz where I did my undergrad, we would get calls about like things that people found in the woods. And so they're like really, really engaged. They're super interested in it. They just have like no idea what they're talking about. And because they're like, so they want archeology span to be that like thing that you see in the movies, Yeah, I feel yeah. like. And so when like an archeologist tells them like, I'm sorry, that is a rock or like, no, that's not, that's bear poop. That's not Bigfoot poop. Like, you know, it's, the like they get either so disappointed that like you've crushed their souls and they're not interested anymore or they're mad at you because they you crushed their like vision of archaeology and they it makes it really easy for them to fall into that like maybe they are hiding things from me maybe they just don't want me to know that this rock (laughs) is worth like three million dollars because it was like you like blood sacrifice or something and it's like i like it's so hard to like you you're not gonna lie to that person but also right. like by disappointing them and like no matter how nice you're you are about it like you're disappointing them and that makes it really easy for those like history channel people those like pseudo work people to like really get in there and be like yeah we're, i believe you i i think that you are right that that like that linear feature you saw on an aerial on google maps is an alien thing and definitely not an irrigation line from modern farming, right. which is also I've seen before. Like, I found this these geoglyphs, and it's like, that's. Have you ever flown over the Midwest? Right. <laughs> like, those those crop farming. circles what? are because there's a boom, an irrigation boom that spins in a circle, and that little green circle is green because that's where the water lands. Yeah, and it keeps the exactly. plants growing. Yeah, I've also, <laughs> Come on. I've also seen like aerial images of like parts of the desert where clearly like ATV people have been like like doing donuts and stuff. And yeah. they're like, look at this. It's a geoglyph. Which, like, <laughs> Those are Jeep like, roads. <laughs> but like that's yeah, that's nothing. That's like a some like drunk 20-year-olds and his buddy did donuts and they're like ATV. And now there's like random circles all over the desert that you saw on Google Maps. Yeah. Um, and it's this like i don't so i guess to like summarize this point before we like get into like how i feel about this is that like we like there's the archaeologists like the educated and the engaged people and we have like three different audiences that we're trying to tackle and it's not as easy as just tailoring your messaging to three different audiences because two of the other audiences are actively fighting against you for the right. fourth audience because like the we have like the i've um i've written here in my notes the loudest voice which is like the history channel people obviously they have a whole fucking channel devoted to telling you fake stuff about archaeology and showing you like auctions at storage units um but which of course like people like go to those things and they're hoping to find that like random like ancient artifact that somebody put in their storage unit um and so we have like those like people and then there's also like the educated but the disengaged like the people who know what archaeology is but hate it um 
who are like actively trying to tell the public that archaeology is bad. Like it's slowing things down. You like, oh, you want that like new road built to your like community? The reason it's not being done is because of the archaeologists and there's a Native American burial ground. And once they get their hands all over it, it's you're never going to get that road. And, and it's like, not because they completely botched consultation. Like that's that's really the thing is the educated but disengaged group, the land developers and and, you know, people who are, uh, you know, aware, very aware of what archaeology is, what cultural resource management is, but uh, think of it unfavorably or are just completely checked out. If they were engaged and they put in the, uh, you know, time and energy and, you know, funding to do stakeholder outreach and, and you know, tribal consultation early on, they wouldn't run into problems or, you know, they would run into these problems way less often, but they, they wouldn't run into these problems where they already have heavy machinery running and they, and they end up calling an archeologist and saying, help, I'm in trouble. Oops, I did something wrong. Like, you know, this is a lack of preparation and planning is, is why yeah. this is an oops. And you want to talk about archaeology slowing things down. The the time when it really slows things down is exactly what you just said when they've yeah, already got yeah. backhoes out there. It's because you now, went too fast too soon, bud. Yeah, now you have all these like <laughs> construction workers that are just sitting around waiting. Like, and it's like if we had done all of this work properly ahead of time, we wouldn't have to deal with this. And like yeah, I've seen, yeah. like, I mean, very rarely, like I've seen like developers that really have like gone like the distance to like really get involved early on and like you know, change project plans and stuff to like try to like have the least amount of impacts so that there's the least amount of ground disturbance, which means that they don't have to pay us as much to dig it. And it's just better for everybody all around. Yep. But I, think, I, I can think of maybe one or two clients that I've like done that before. Um, and, you know, the, and they put out, like, I, I feel like people don't realize how much like effort those people put into being anti-archaeology and it's in like such a different way from the history channel crowd and it's like much more insidious because it is very much like wrapping archaeologists up into this sort of government bureaucracy sort of like boogeyman of like they're like you know they're the ones that are slowing you down with the permits and the like compliance and now you have to wait for a public review and da 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 and i mean like if you think of like um like bear's ears like which was like you know one of the most publicly like visible like archaeology crises even if some people don't realize it was an archaeology crisis because they think national park but like that is like one of the densest archaeological landscapes in the country and a huge part of the reason that that like was being attacked was because like people wanted to drill in bear's ears and the people who want to drill are getting it like getting the like recreational like people like in like in with them like hey like you want to atv out here we'll let you atv all over our drilled landscape come on out like it's the it's the archaeologists <laughs> and the like the environmentalists that don't want you to be able to do your donuts and confuse all those other people right and, like they it's just like the and the amount of like money especially that like i think that's another <laughs> That's one of the main challenges I think that archaeology is facing here is because the two other voices, the like the History Channel people and the developers, have so much money. Yes. And we have none of it. 
And like the amount of money that they're dumping into these like campaigns and TV shows and stuff, like there's literally just no way for us to compete with that. There's just no way. And it's all bad faith messaging too. Yeah. It's, oh, it's, yeah. I just think about, um, there's this like, like crystallized story in my brain from like Coos Bay where, um, which I know you're familiar with the Jordan Cove um, pipeline project, which knock on wood is dead forever. But um, the, um, like this was like this huge pipeline project that was going to go straight through the town of Coos Bay on the Oregon coast. And it was, you know, uh, pipelines are obviously going to be a huge environmental disaster for anybody in any place. But then one of the other main problems, like resistance to it was that they were going to use a lot of eminent domain to build this pipeline through a lot of like private property. And so the community was like really against this project from an environmental standpoint, from a like tourism standpoint, from a like eminent domain standpoint, um, especially because like people in that area care very much about uh, the government getting on their property. So they very right. much are going to be like really staunchly against like pipelines. And I'm like, great, that's great. I totally agree. And so you would see all over Coos Bay, these like no LNG pipe like signs. So LNG li- liquid natural gas or like no Jordan Cove, no LNG. You see these like signs all over the place. And then like a couple of years ago, the um, one of the tribes was trying to get a TCP nominated and the like city and like the developers were super against it because like obvious they wanted basically all of Coos Bay is within this TCP. Like that's the boundaries. It's right. basically all of Coos Bay except for South Slough. And so the people like the town is like, freaking out because that means that they're going to have to like do so much more cultural compliance if literally the entire bay is a is like an archaeological resource like this is all traditional cultural property now everything is going to be treated like it's like in a like already recorded like cultural resource it's a traditional cultural property and so they're upset this is like that educated disengaged group mad about the money and the permits they're going to have to deal with and they like went on like the offensive and basically started lumping the TCP in with this eminent domain issue of like, Oh my God, if they, if the tribe nominates this TCP, they're going to take your land. It's going to be like, they can do whatever they want on your land. They're saying that Coos Bay belongs to them, which I mean, it does, but like they, in like a legal, (laughs) like owning the property sense, they're trying to say that like, that's what's going to happen. And so then you would (laughs) see, like no LNG sign. And then like right next to it, there's a no TCP sign, which is crazy because it's conflicting no- interests. <laughs> nobody knows what a TCP is, first of all. And the fact that it's like the first time I've ever seen a member of the public know what a TCP is. And it's because like there were all of these like like city and like corporate interests that are like, don't, we don't want this. And that's how they learn about what a TCP is. Yeah. So for anybody, we have a lot of listeners who aren't archaeologists. So for anybody who who didn't catch that earlier, a TCP is a traditional cultural property and uh, tribes nominate this, uh, nominate areas as, as traditional cultural properties. And, um, you know, for uh, without really going like too far into the weeds on the legal ramifications of a, of a TCP, it's, it's very similar to a historic district where like a lot of people live within a historic district and you can do whatever you want to with your property. It just means that when 
uh, certain things trigger laws for development, you have to consider the impact to a historic district or the impact to a traditional cultural property. But, you know, like these people are, are getting up in arms. They're like, oh, they're, they're going to take your property away. They're not going to take your property away. It's really not going to change a whole lot of anything. It's just going to mean that you have to consider the impacts to a traditional cultural property. Like maybe you have to do some more tribal consultation uh, if you wanted to put like a football stadium in the middle of Coos Bay or something like that, you know, like it's just ridiculous. Yeah. And, and that's like, the, I feel like the key of like that, like scaremongering that the like educated disengaged group is doing is this like, it's going to do, like, it's going to slow everything down. It's going to stop. And it's like, no, no, no. Like you just said, what the law says, you have to consider the impact. Yes. You don't have to you don't have to because of the impact there's no teeth <laughs> yeah it's just, you have to consider them you have to see i thought about the fact that i'm going to ruin this like historic <laughs> site um right. and that's so it's like it's totally like a toothless like thing and but because it does slow stuff down which costs like developers a lot of money and that's like really the like they're so they're trying to like spin everything to like really make it scary um and so that's like sort of the angle that that crowd is using against the like sort of blank slate like uneducated disengaged group and then we have back to the history channel people which are i feel like so much more aggressive towards archaeologists like i feel like the developers are really just like they're they're not like attacking people online and trying to say that we're like lying to the public and you know obviously and this has been like rehashed by like a million people like in more detail than me, but the entire idea behind pseudo-archaeology and, you know, ancient aliens and the idea that, you know, there's all of these extraterrestrial connections and people from Africa were like sailing the entire Atlantic and they are the Ol Olmec actually. And like all of this, like <laughs> these like theories, they are like based like, I would confidently say 99.9% .9 of the time in like some sort of racism or anti-Semitism or just this general, like there's somebody out there controlling the whole world and the archeologists are the ones pulling the strings for like, you know, whoever that <laughs> boogeyman is. Um, and <laughs> like, it's like funny, but it's also like, we can see from like the whole fucking situation in the world that it is so easy to like tack on to those like fears and like just send people down like a crazy black hole where they will where they'll do insane things like yeah like it's so it's this like group that's so like impressionable in that like you just like whisper like a conspiracy theory to them and they're like that explains everything especially if some mean archaeologists told them that their like stick isn't a dinosaur bone. Like they're, you know, they're yeah, just- <laughs> I'm, I'm that mean archaeologist. <laughs> I know. Chris has, is getting constant fan mail from all these people who think that Chris is gonna like, what is the, what's the word? Appraise all of their rocks and sticks. And <laughs> right. Like it's antiques roadshow for rocks. Yes. <laughs> oh, can you imagine it? That's what we should get on history channel. 
We're going to get the people where they are, get a show on History Channel, and it's going to be Archaeology Roadshow, which is actually a thing. Um, right. <laughs> our, okay, so we, the, we're, the copyright's not there. We'll come up with a different name, but we... Sorry, Dr. Butler. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Portland State. And speaking of public archaeology, the uh, Archaeology Roadshow, which is a like public archaeology event that Portland State University um, and various other entities in Oregon put on every year. Um, and there's usually a theme and everybody has booths that are like teaching like about all sorts of different like interesting things about archaeology, especially like local like Oregon <laughs> archaeology. Um, and it's like one of like the coolest public archaeology things that I think is out there. Um, and they don't appraise your rocks and sticks for you, um, despite the name making it sound like Antiques Roadshow, which yeah. I just now yeah. realized and put together. Um, but like, even like that, like, I feel like this actually sort of like dovetails into, I think, what is one of the solutions to this problem, which is like, how do we deal with these like obviously we it's not enough just to go after those people that don't already have an opinion about archaeology because like if there were no other audiences that would no problem we'll just go after them but they are like also actively like taking in information from these developers from these like conspiracy theorists history channel people and like those groups have so much more money and so it's like how it's not enough for us to just go after like that like like blank slate group, we have to also be trying to talk to those other groups who clearly, as you can tell from the tone of my voice and the amount of F-bombs I've dropped already, how I feel about those other groups most of the time. <laughs> right. But like, there's literally no way to like actively like make meaningful, like educational changes to like the rest of the public without like also like taking down those other like sources of information that they're taking in like especially yeah. because they are so like prevalent like i mean ar archaeologists don't have a like cable channel you know like it's there's like no way that we could possibly compete against that kind of like messaging um which then like brings us to like how do we deal with that how do we talk to those like people and try to like take their especially the people who are like engaged and interested like those like you know the people that i keep making fun of i'm very sorry <laughs> but that's the thing it's like they you like we make fun of them oh they think that that's a stick that's so like they think that's a dinosaur bone they think that's an arrowhead but it's just like a rock that's kind of tri triangular oh it's so funny except that like when you like dismiss them out of hand now they're gonna go home pissed yeah. and you know now they they thought that archaeology was really cool and now they think that archaeologists are assholes that are like hiding the truth from them and so like figuring out how to like talk to those people i think is probably one of the biggest challenges that public archaeology has to face and like you don't see it a lot in like public archaeology messaging you know it's a lot of like you know, like you know, outreach events, like come to a public dig, come to like all these, like like really genuinely good, like educational, like like event, like museum things. And um, I, I just see like a lot of like interpretive stuff of um, like projects as they're happening, you know, like, you know, you see it like on all of the like highways in California, like every single rest stop is basically on an archeological archeolo site. And there's always like a little sign, you know, that tells you about like that culture because presumably they built their highway through a site at some point. And this is part of their mitigation is they have to like educate 
the bored people stopping on a road trip, which is like, okay, great. Let's go after those people. But like, what about all those other people? Like, uh, I just, it's so hard. And I feel like because it's so hard, a lot of like the public archeology span I see, I feel like doesn't want to have to figure out how to do with it. Yeah. Like deal yeah. with it. So they just go after like those easier audiences, which is also important. But like, again, like, you can't just go after those easy. Yeah, that's a low-hanging fruit. Exactly. Um, and then it becomes a problem of, like, these, like, people who are really interested in archaeology but don't really know anything about it, like, especially in the United States, I don't know about the heritage laws of other places, but, like, in the United States, these people are breaking laws, like, constantly. Yeah, that's an important point, is, you know, what they're doing out of like out of sincere curiosity they're breaking yeah. the law and th what i see as like part of part of the pro there's lots of problems with the uneducated but engaged group but one of the problems i see is um they're very interested in archaeology but they're not they're either not interested or just not equipped to do the research um, or critically evaluate things to like understand what an object is. Like if someone brings like just a dirty normal ass rock, like they don't have the research skills to figure out why is this just a rock and why is this not, you know, an ancient treasure from the garden of Eden that you found in Tennessee of all godforsaken places. Like they, they come up with these fantastical ideas and, and like props to them for having such vivid imaginations, but like they don't have, they either don't have the research skills or just don't have the desire to do the research. And that's where like, um, I think the history channel and, you know, media outlets with a ton of money do a, a really grave disservice to archaeology by focusing on a single artifact as like the groundbreaking thing when it, it's never about just a single artifact. It's about an entire culture of people that, that did something special. That's why a single artifact is something cool is because it came, it, it's like one piece of a, like a big broader culture. And that's, what's entirely missing from the uneducated, but engaged is there. They, they don't even see that. And like you made the point earlier, um, it's fueled by racism, whether they're aware of that or not, you know, like that's a complete erasure of the culture that made an artifact. Yeah. And I mean, part of the, like, that racism, especially like in the United States, is that they like they feel like very entitled to all of these things because that's what they've been taught their entire lives. Is that um, especially like you know cis white men are like entitled to everything, and this is America, and this is your <laughs> land, and because like America has done such a like you know I don't want to say incredible, but like such a um, extensive very well um i guess successful job of like hiding the fact from the public that indigenous people still exist it yeah. really becomes very easy for them to be like yeah this is mine i'll just take it like why do i what do i care like i don't care about yeah. like, the people who yeah. did this it doesn't matter to them now i don't really care to learn anything about them because we like what do we we already know about them you know there are those 
there's those noble savages or whatever from the past and yeah you know it's well, what's one more arrowhead and it's like well <laughs> it can be it can be a lot <laughs> especially like um the stuff that's like the coolest for like people to like collect is also the stuff that has the most information a lot of the time you know it's yeah, like those diagnostic yeah. like complete like projectile points and arrowheads and spear points and all that um and the the whole like the problem with dealing with this like because it like they are like really genuinely interested and i feel like part of it is they, they just don't like to be told that they're not correct is one of it partly because they are they do feel entitled and they feel like the part of that entitlement i think is like being entitled to being correct all the time like they're just yes. not used to like that's a, one of the benefits of being like them in society is that they don't have to ever be questioned and so when somebody tells them that they're not right about something they're like well that's not my my god-given american <laughs> freedom to be right about everything you don't say uh, no to me if, if you yeah. said no to me like nobody says no to me otherwise i wouldn't have gone onto public land and stolen an artifact <laughs> well it's not public land chris because if it was public like that means that it belongs to them the american people right so the government doesn't get to own anything <laughs> <laughs> right like, you know it's the public public land means it's for me the public right so i get to take whatever i want off of it exactly and, um the but that's, I totally got sidetracked, but like the, the reason I got on this whole tangent is because that's something that the archaeology roadshow um, out of Portland State like has done is they've like opened, like they originally, it was just like an event in Portland that happened every year. And then they started doing ones in Burns way out in Eastern Oregon, which for people who are not familiar with Eastern Oregon, um, if you've heard of the Now You're uh, Wildlife Refuge Takeover, uh, if you've heard of the Bundys, like that's the the cultural situation that's happening out in eastern oregon it's like hardcore like right-wing libertarians the you know public land means it's theirs this is their land like you know we want it fair and square from the native americans and you know we can do whatever we want and those those people like they love it's part of like the culture out there to steal artifacts like it's part of that's part of what it's, they do it's <laughs> fun for them they they yeah. love it there's a bar in like Eastern Oregon where you can trade in an arrowhead for a free beer. Like it's just, that's like what you're dealing with. And so like the archeology span roadshow, like totally props to them because they realized like, we're just like preaching to the choir here in Portland. Like we're going to be able to get people that are like, like easy pickings to get interested in this stuff. Like we need to like go out to like Eastern Oregon. And like, if we want to stop like looting and we want to stop people from having these like busted opinions about archaeology which is that like archaeology is just whoever they like any random person picking up artifacts yeah that's you know our archaeology or history to them it's like no we have to go out there and we have to explain to like those people like where it's at and like work through that and they like do um they'll like let people like come and bring their like artifacts that, and like they'll tell them about them and like try to explain to them as part of that like you know we could have learned a lot more if this had been next to all the other things it was next to when you found it. And like, you know, trying to like, not, not like totally shut them down. And I think that this is something that I, I feel like a lot of like rural parts of the West archeologists are like pretty good at this. And I feel like people who are like living in like, like big cities, like big city archeologists, um, like don't, because like, it's easy enough to be like looters, terrible. They have nothing to offer us. They're destroying the archaeological record. But then, like, you spend a lot enough time in these like rural areas, and you realize like they are, like you said, like 
they genuinely are curious. Like, it's out of genuine curiosity. It's not out of like yeah. malice nine times out of 10 um, because they don't know enough about archaeology to be like malicious about it. Like they don't right. realize that taking an arrowhead up off the ground is going to like destroy like a whole other like, you know, set of information. And like, I feel like rural archaeologists, because they have to like deal with that so much, have have sort of a rapport with like those communities of being able to like, you know, it's that like, a, you know, you're doing some work and a landowner comes up to you and is like, oh, what are you doing? And you're like, oh, well, we're doing, you know, cultural compliance. And then they start telling you about all the places on their land, like right yeah. next to your, like your project area where they found all these artifacts and like, here's what I have and here are some pictures of it. And it's like, they know so much. It's like those, like, it's like the local historical societies that I like was praising earlier, except that like the local historical societies aren't like breaking laws. <laughs> and right. so it's like, but it's the same sort of like, it's that same like really deep, genuine like investment and interest in like the, these places that they're from that you see in a lot of those communities. It's just like totally misguided. And if you like just flat out are like, fuck all looters, which like is, I still fall into constantly. It's very easy to do, but like you do, you can like learn a lot from them. And if you like approach those people like really like positively when they come to talk to you about that shit, you can like use those as like learning opportunities. Like I know somebody whose master's thesis like involves a lot of like testing on private land because he like, he's from those communities and he was able to go out and talk to landowners about like the, the sites that they like know on their land and that he, he would have them take him out to these places on public property. And he did like testing or not on public property, on private property. And he did this testing as part of his master's thesis because he recognized growing up in those kinds of communities that there is like this wealth of knowledge and there are all these oh, archaeological yeah. sites that have not been properly tested because they're on private property. And like those property owners are interested in the archaeology on their land. They spend all their time telling all their friends about it. So it's like, you know, if you come to them and be like, I'm an archaeologist, I will put some holes in and I will tell you way more than you've ever learned about the archaeology on your land just by stealing artifacts. Like, I will tell you so much more by like showing you like if you do it correctly, like here's all the information you never knew was even here. And working like with those like landowners to like, protect that stuff which just reminded me of one of my favorite weird anecdotes in like a crm report <laughs> that's from some site in like southern oregon out like way way deep in the woods in southern oregon and there's like a note about um that somebody put in their monograph about like site protection and whether or not they think like the site's in danger of like looting in the future and da 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 and they were like you know what, I feel pretty confident this site's gonna be okay because the property owner, she's this like sweet old lady and she told me she's got a rifle <laughs> and she's not gonna let anybody get near her property and nobody's getting near that site to loot it. And like, yeah. you know, like, if you can get like that sort of like, if you just like redirect that like genuine curiosity, <laughs> it's like now you have like these, I mean, like you have like real like advocates and protectors of this stuff now because like, you know, if you have those, if you try to build like positive relationships with them, it becomes, they become like allies in it. Yeah. Um, yeah. The trouble is that like, oh, this, you know, sweet old lady in Southern Oregon, like, you know, is different from like virulent alt-right racist 
in like burns <laughs> that helped right. take over a wildlife refuge. And like those people like actively destroyed archaeological records like while they were in the like wildlife like headquarters. Like right, because they are they are like self-avowed white supremacists. Like they they see destroying Native American culture as part of their uh part of their white supremacist project. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that's like a, a clear distinction is like these people, like the, the Bundy militia was very aware of what they were doing. Uh, but, you know, like the average landowner who has over decades accumulated a collection, like you said, they're, they're just genuinely curious and like really stoked that it's there and they want to know more about it. Yeah, it's I, it's like one of those things where you have to like, approach the situation kind of, I feel like optimistically. And then yeah. the second you realize they're a white supremacist, you just back right up. <laughs> <laughs> right. Assume good faith until you recognize bad faith. Yeah. Cause like, I do think that there's like a lot of like, I don't know. I've had like really good like conversations with, you know, landowners like out in like the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just, it's the trick of like disentangling those people who are like curious from all of that, like alt-right, white supremacist, anti-Semitic, like conspiracy thinking, like disentangling it because they have become so deeply entwined. Like, I mean, like, for example, I put them together in the same box, right? Because they really are sort of like on those two axes, very similar, but like the motivation behind it, the like opportunity to like, make headway with people and i think that's that idea of like the motivation behind it like if we're gonna put a third axis on this like that's what differentiates like those well-meaning people who are genuinely curious and that's their motivation versus the people who are their genuine motivation is either to make money or um convince you that native americans were too stupid to build like monk's mound like you know like it's it's you know it's what's the motivation here? Is it white supremacy or is it genuine curiosity in history and just like a yes. genuine misunderstanding of what archaeology is? Um, and so like, I think that now that I've had, now I've added my third axis to my quadrant, which makes good thing. This is a podcast because now I wouldn't be able to draw this in any way. Um, <laughs> it's a cube. Like, yeah, it's a cube. It's a, it's a sphere. It's, you know, galaxy braining out. It's yeah. It's like <laughs> the web telescope is looking at it. <laughs> exactly um and you know the you know the web telescope i can't believe it didn't find a picture of like the alien with their pyramid building like kit on their spaceship <laughs> um but yeah i think that like especially in like that area like it's the motivation is what really like differentiates that group um and like trying to figure out like how to like i feel like the problem part of the problem is if you go into those spaces trying to like make headway, you're because it's so entangled, you're gonna end up in a space with like absolute like terrible people who you're never gonna be able to convince. Like you're never gonna be able to teach them the value of archaeology because they don't see the value of archaeology because they're too busy trying to like, you know, assert like white supremacy over like the United States by erasing all Native American heritage. <laughs> <laughs> um and yeah it's one of those things too where it's like there's like a fascination with like a total disrespect where you'll see like the people like i guarantee you those like bundy guys that were destroying stuff at the like wildlife headquarters 
how much you want to bet like half those people have arrowhead collections back at their houses oh yeah like it's it's like again it's like it's the motivation it's like you walk into somebody's house and they have a bunch of arrowheads it's like okay but like why like because they feel that they're entitled to everything that's on their land and everything that's on public property so they're just going to take whatever they want because they feel they're entitled to it or because they're like well this is neat i'm gonna keep it yeah (laughs) um (laughs) and i mean like i totally get the like inclination to do so like i mean when i was a little kid i like picked up like old railroad ties and crap because i thought it was cool um and i still pick up cool rocks (laughs) i pick up cool rocks all the time i just came from working at like a chert quarry and i came back with like my tool bag full of rocks not even like nappable rock i was like i'm gonna take these and i'm gonna flint nap them and i'm like no these this is terrible rock <laughs> it's definitely not worth flint napping but boy is it stripey so i'm gonna keep it it's like a zebra stripe to this stuff yeah um, but yeah it's uh, i don't know i feel like i've i'm just gonna keep repeating myself because it's just it's so this is like this is the problem it's like you just get so wrapped up in like recognizing the issue and really like having difficulty implementing any solutions. And then you just spin out and you end up with a bunch of archeologists on Twitter (laughs) complaining about this and not really having any tools or inclination to do anything about it whatsoever. Right. It's an echo chamber. They think that the public is like reading their Twitter and it's like, no, other archeologists and maybe some (laughs) other academics are reading your Twitter. Sorry, but your tweets are not that interesting. They're not following you. Yeah, I'm not like, you know, I'm I'm not an influential poster. I have like like 1200 followers on Twitter and I like know half of them. Like, (laughs) you know, like I just feel like it's it's sort of like folds into that like general problem of like, online activism where people think that if they like change their instagram like picture to a black square they're like doing something really incredible for black lives matter it's like yeah you know, the people that are like picking fights with like you know the history channel account on like um on twitter it's like <laughs> nobody's <laughs> reading that nobody's they don't care that. like if you like you know but twitter is not the place to reach out to the like the publics that we're trying to talk to you're just <laughs> you know, feeding into this like trolling nightmare. Um, These people need to touch grass. And plus like, that's what they want. They want to pick fights. And like, if you, if a real archeologist starts picking fights with like the, what is that? Like, you know, the Oak Island show, the like treasure of Oak Island or whatever it was on history channel. Like people are like picking fights with hosts on these ridiculous fake history channel shows, which, oh my God, that reminds me. There was like a huge fight on Twitter with William Shatner. Do you remember that a couple of I months ago? I completely missed that. No. Oh my God. William Shatner has some like pseudo archaeology show on History Channel or something. Some, I don't know if it's History Channel, but you know, one of those cable networks. And people started picking fights with William Shatner. Like, and then he's picking fights back with them. And there's like random, like tenured archaeologists fighting William Shatner on Twitter. And I'm like, oh. that's you realize that that's what he wants because now that like a real actual like academic is like like engaging with him he feels like he's on the level like of like professional archaeologists now we're having like now we're having a discourse this is like this is a debate now and it's like like by engaging it's like classic it's the classic like troll 
like mentality and they want to get a rise out of you. Like they want you to engage with them because then they can say like one, look, I'm good enough that a real archeologist is like talking to me. And also they're talking to me because they're so scared that I'm gonna let out the truth. Clearly this is more, <laughs> just more evidence that they're trying to suppress the truth. Yes. And it's just, it like totally defeats the entire purpose. It's like, I mean, the examples that I was giving of like those good engagements with that um, like engaged but not educated public are all like local rural cases where I've been like talking to a property owner out in the middle of nowhere. You know, yeah. I like, yeah, I, you talk to the like person at the one coffee shop in town, like every day for two weeks because you're out on a project and you have like these great conversations with them. And like, like those are like the, and like the archaeology roadshow, like going out and like, you know, they're obviously that's more than a one on one conversation, but they're going out to like those places. Like that's where you need to be going, not arguing with like History Channel and like Captain Kirk. Like that's not <laughs> productive in any way, shape or form. Like, um, and I don't know like how anybody can expect it to be productive. Um, right. Like, no, I completely agree, though, like. um Katie Tipton, one of the other regular hosts of, of the podcast, uh, she did her master's thesis on private collections in, yeah. uh, kind of the, the greater Willamette Valley in Oregon. And, uh, she went around and, and just, you know, passed out surveys on kind of collections and people could self-report if they wanted to. And, uh, you know, then she followed up on, you know, what people had and then, uh, Party. Sorry, he's trying to fluff up the carpet. It's not going to happen. It's very important. Um, yeah, so uh, Tipton was was working on, uh, you know, trying to build like a, a database. And, and one of the, you know, one of the issues is uh, all of this data is so fragmented, even within state and federal agencies, that that's one of the other challenges. And that's like a whole different can of worms is, is, is data. But, um, you know, I thought that was neat that, uh, Tipton was able to get in to a lot of, uh, you know, private landowners and, and talk about their collections and, you know, get an inventory of what they had. And then what was it four, four or five years ago? Um, I did, uh, like a public archaeology dig on a friend's property. And, uh, this, this friend of mine, Daniel Van Dyke, um, you know, he, he owned the land and, uh, he has this big garden and for years he would text me a photo of, you know, like a, a, a biface or a grinding stone or, you know, some cool historical artifact that he found and he'd be like, Hey, what is this? And I would just tell him what it is. And we'd talk about, you know, like flake scars and, and all sorts of like lithic analysis. And, and, uh, he has a forestry background, uh, you know, and, and works now in, in, uh, food and beverage and, uh, you know, like, but he still has that genuine curiosity of like, you know, what are these items I'm finding in my garden? And we kept, you know, over the years, he knew enough to be dangerous that he was, uh, like keeping record of where they were like on an X, Y axis in his yard and also how deep. And so, he's, yeah, he's giving me point proveniences on, on this thing. And so I don't even half the time. The same. And, and so like he ended up being able to provide like some nice data and, and he had, you know, he would 
you know, pick stuff up, wash it off, put it in a paper bag, you know, store it off in his garage. And, you know, so me and another archeologist in, in Kentucky, Chris Blair went there and we had, you know, just anybody who wanted to show up and, uh, you know, Daniel, uh, provided a keg and, uh, one of the guys was a chef. He made, you know, bow buns from scratch. They were amazing. Um, More dudes should have a keg. Yeah. And so it was just awesome to have, you know, like we're, we're just right there in his backyard digging, uh, test units and, you know, finding all sorts of cool stuff. And as we're going through it, we had, you know, people providing food and beverage, but also, you know, manual labor, but enough people genuinely curious that we have like this constant discourse going on. Like, what is this item? Like, what are we learning about this place? It's like right by this, uh, this Creek that is a tributary to the Ohio river. Like it's, you know, talking about the greater landscape and putting it into perspective and all that. And that's the kind of thing that like on a normal dig site, like archaeologists are doing that all day long. We're, you know, we're, we're talking about like what we're working through and we're kind of like tumbling it around in our brains, but it was just such a cool thing to do that with non-archaeologists. And it was such a rare opportunity, um, you know, to go out onto, you know, someone's private land and, and work on their site. Um, and that's the kind of thing that, you know, if people have the, the time and the resources and the, and the bandwidth to, Mm -hmm you know, devote that kind of thing, you know, that's quite a, quite a nice service to the public. Really. I mean, that, yeah, that stuff is great. And I, some of those like avocational archaeologists, like you're talking about like your friend taking these really, really detailed notes. So much of like the early archaeology of like Washington and Oregon was done by avocational archaeologists who like a lot of them took garbage notes, but then there are some who took like the most extensive field notes. They might as well have been like a professional. Like they're better than like some like, you know, it'll be some like random lady who was recording rock art in the twenties. And then like, you look at the archeologists in the sixties and they're doing a worse job. Like, you know, like some of these avocational archeologists like have really like good data. And like, you know, that's, if you totally like write them all off, it's like, you know, pointless. Um, Like there's no reason for it. You're just throwing out like, data that can be actually genuinely good <laughs> um like you can't just assume that it's not that it's not going to be good like obviously you don't want to encourage like you don't you're not encouraging any of this like looting or stuff but like i mean i've seen like presentations at like um the the one of them tribe in washington has this archaeology days every year which is like a um it's like it's it's like a public archaeology thing but it's like the first day is like for like children and the second day is like kind of like a mini conference like people give like half an hour like presentations and it's like a mix between like like archaeologists and like members of tribes and then every year there's like one or two like avocational guys Mm. that's there and like the tribe invites them and they like like you know nine times at a time they're retired and they're like you know what i'm gonna do with my time I'm going to dig through every single note that this random guy in like the thirties, like ever wrote down about this site. And like, I'm going to go back and I'm going to re-record every single petroglyph on this part of the Columbia because they're drawing it down for the first time in like forever. Um, And, you know, like some of that work is like really like, you know, it's really valuable. And like, if they're going out of their way, like to do that in their spare time, if you can like, especially if they're like go asking you questions, like, Hey, like if I'm interested in going out and recording all of these petroglyphs, like what do I need to be looking for? Like, if you can like be like, especially with petroglyphs, because it's like, as long as you're not like touching them, you're not 
walk around right. and look at petroglyphs all you want. And so it's like, yeah, you want to go out and take pictures of petroglyphs and like tell like here's the other information that we would want. And like, and that's like he like works with like a local archaeologist that like he's been buddies with like for fifty years, and like so he knows like oh I want to look at the weathering and I want to know like the relation of the petroglyphs to each other and like you know like if you like build those like relationships you can sort of like you get like a real like sort of ally in that yeah um, and like private landowners in general like. I mean, it's, like, awesome that, like, your friend wanted to, like, do that, like, project. Like, if we could get, like, that's, like, I, every once in a while, I'll hear, like, a dream of, like, some archaeologist that's, like, got lucky enough that some random rich property owner was, like, hey, I want to see what's going on on my land. You want to, you want to dig it up? And it's, like, here's, like, all the money you could ever want to survey this, like, land. And, like, yeah. I, like, I, 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 every once in a while, you hear about these, like, magical pipe dreams, and I'm, like, how did you, how did you get, but that's the thing is like, it's these like crazy, like, it's like these random rich people who happen to have a lot of property that like want to do this. And like the, like, but like everyday random people, like your buddy, like have sites in their backyards too. And they just like, maybe they're interested in it and they don't really know what to do about it. And there's no money for them to like excavate it, even if they were interested and wanted to. And if they don't have a friend who's an archeologist, <laughs> it's like, well, I'm either just never going to learn anything about it or I'm just going to start digging shit up myself and putting it in my house. <laughs> um, and like, I mean, my like dissertation, like site, the collection came from a inadvertent discovery on private property that like they hit a mitten and the guy was like, yeah, yeah, the tribe can excavate it. Go for it. Which is why there was no money for any analysis on that project because he was like, yeah, sure. You can like dig it, but like he, he's not gonna like give the money to do anything. So then like, right. Like it all, you know, it all comes down to money. The problem with archaeology. If we had money, we could have our own history channel, and we could help <laughs> private landowners who are interested properly excavate their sites. Because that's the other right. thing. It's like all these sites are being dug on, like you know, public land. It's like there's a fuck ton of private land out there in the United States that also has archaeological sites on it, and there's nothing we can do about it, and we'll never know anything about it because there's no money like to do that kind of work. So like, um, and I feel like if maybe we had like a really robust like public archeology span where like, you know, landowners like knew who to reach out to and like knew how to like find like an actual like local archeologist, like, you know, maybe something could like go somewhere in terms of like getting getting at that like information that's like sort of locked up in this like private land that has like no regulatory nexus for ever learning about um until like out of like maybe like you get a private landowner and then you get the local historical society excited about it and then they kick you some money and you like you have volunteers and so you don't have to yeah. pay for labor and it's local people so you're not paying for lodging you know you buy them some pizzas sometimes but you're not really paying for food and like yeah. you know like um I just feel like that brings like that would be like this great like sort of opportunity to have this sort of like community archaeology going on. But the thing is about that is that it has to be like in partnership with like like people who actually know what they're doing with like members of the local tribes, archaeologists who are like actually trained in like controlled excavation methods. Um, but I think that there's like people want to know about like 
places that they live. And that's where a lot of that like looting comes from because they, they want to know about it and they just don't have anywhere to like put, they don't know how to like, like express that interest. And I feel like if we could be, you know, I don't know. And it's one of those things where it's like, oh, this is a great dream. But like, this is never going to happen because we don't have the resources for it. Like, where yeah. are we, like, where's this money? Like, we have to like totally re, like, frame the entire like structure of American society and like the way that like cultural resource management runs. <laughs> um, but and I the feel way like- agencies run too. I mean, yeah. like, not to shit on agencies, but it's hard enough to get a response from the state agencies as a professional archeologist, yeah. like I can only imagine how frustrating that is for a private landowner to just get, you know, the cold shoulder anytime they reach out, but it's not because their questions aren't legitimate. It's just because there's no resources there to yeah. respond to it. You know, it's yeah. such a woefully underfunded discipline, um, but it is, it's important. And what's wild is there's laws that require it you know, that compel cultural resources to be studied, but there's no funding for it. So it's kind of like, well, why even bother, you know? I mean, but like, I have projects that are like on hold right now because the agency was like, I don't know, we don't have money for it. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I mean, I guess then, then like, your project's not going to happen until like, like, what? Like, you just like, well, I don't know, we have, don't have money for it. It's like, you legally have to do this. And it's like, I don't, I don't have money for it. Like, how is that happening? It's like a, like, we can't even get like the legal required, like baseline done in archaeology, much less any sort of like interesting community work. Right. Um, um, God. It's just, yeah, that's, it's nuts. Um, the other thing though about agencies, and this is like sort of like totally off topic but you mentioned that your friend like works for the like forest service your friend that had the site on his like property oh i don't know like, if he worked for a forest service but he had like, like a, a master's in forestry and like uh-huh. forest management yeah because it's i just thought that was interesting because the um another site that i like worked at um also on private property the landowner was like i <laughs> think that he was in the forest service but he was in he was in like one of the, like the big land managing agencies and he was like a biologist or some sort of environmental guy and so he like really interested in archaeology and he like knows that there was a site on his property i was like yeah come on out come on out guys and he comes down and wanders around and says hi and like looks at like looks at what we're doing he brings his dogs down sometimes and it's like i feel like you know that's sort of like the opposite side of that like you know the developers and the engineers and stuff the other side of that like compliance coin is the agencies and it's like you know there are like people in the agencies that are like this is neat like we can't do anything about it and i don't have money and i don't have any time to be interested in it because i'm just drowning in paperwork but (laughs) like that's that's neat and they like you know they read all these reports that come across their desks so that they can approve them and they're like Cool. cool. <laughs> and, and then they retire and they like have land with an archaeological site on it. It's like, oh. Yeah. That's funny because they're they're educated but disengaged, but they're yeah. disengaged because there's just no funding to there's support no fun. their engagement. Yeah. Until they retire. And then yeah. they can be like, oh, come on out. And then that's great because then they're like, they know enough to like 
find an actual archaeologist <laughs> and like <laughs> you know get like a real project going because it's like yeah i worked with that archaeologist for years when like they were like working in like for the tribe and i was working for the agency and we you know yeah we've worked together for years and years and years and it's like oh yeah like those like connections could be like also really interesting um but of course you can talk about all the connections and community you want to build but like with no resources and no money and no time <laughs> it uh become it's very difficult to do more than the bare minimum as it is <laughs> like yes. trying to like do these like like i don't know there's like so many like interesting like and beautiful ways that archaeology could be used that i feel like it's just not being like tapped into because like we don't have like we don't have the tools or the resources to like figure out how to like get like get them like not like, figure out to get them going but like to actually implement any of these things yeah. um yeah. and so i think that the moral of this podcast is that somebody should fund our show that's not going to be called archaeology road show it'll be called something that's not copyright infringement um <laughs> unless they want to partner with us uh, <laughs> and let's uh get some uh money going towards that that's the call this is the uh any, any rich philanthropists want to fund our television show? It'll be great. With all our dogs and little Indiana Jones hats. Yes. You're going to get a little hat? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Just give us more money. That's the moral of the story. Yeah. I'm saying all your uh, listeners are archaeologists, so presumably maybe some of those people have money. Not the archaeologists, definitely, but maybe some of the other listeners. We sure hope so. Many billionaire listeners want to fund our network. Right, it's going to be a channel. It, it's got me. This is just me spitballing here, just just brainstorming. Um, but like, Portland has a really vibrant mutual aid community, um, mm. and so there's it. It sprung up, uh, for the most part in uh, in 2020 during the, um during the black lives matter protests and the, and the, you know, anti-police violence protests. And, um, uh, they were called blocks and yeah, they're mm -hmm. still around. Um, but just a little bit less active. Um, yeah. but you know, there's like snack block, uh, cat block, uh, plant block, you know, like people mm -hmm. doing all sorts of mutual aid projects that are like very subject focused, like somebody who mm -hmm. has, uh, access to plants and gardening shit. Like they, they can yeah. pass that stuff around. It just makes me wonder like, what would a mutual aid archeology span look like? And, you know, like the, the black trial collective has that going for funding. Mm -hmm. Um, but what would a, a local, like really community level mutual aid archeology span look like if it could do the, just like cradle to grave archeology span projects for people? Yeah. And I mean, that would be doing something like local like that would be, I mean, a great opportunity to like get obviously anything that I, any random thing that I spitball, uh, I spitball with the assumption that the tribes and descendant communities are going to be directly involved in it in some way. And yes. I feel like yes. doing those, like, if you like built up like a local, um, some sort of like a local archaeology mutual aid thing to like really like i mean there are i mean there are sites that are like getting destroyed all the time like that are on private property and like stuff like you know that we 
problems that we know are occurring, like, you know, um, like I know somebody that like goes up to this site in Canada constantly, like, like twice a year at least to help the tribe, like, rebuild the seawall that's trying to prevent the midden like from washing into the ocean and that's yeah. like something that he does like not like it's it's on like public land it's, but like he does it out of his own like free time and stuff and it's like you know there are sites like that all the time all over the place that are being like threatened and it's like you know what could we do to like you know do those kinds of like heritage projects to like serve like serve the archaeology as like in conjunctions like serving the community to like sort of fill in the gaps of like things that like obviously like we talked about like problems with like the laws that are like yeah if you just have to consider the impact you don't have to do anything about it and it's like okay but like so how do we like fill in like the gaps where those like laws fall short and I know there are I mean there are like people in CRM that like do their damnedest to try to like squeeze those like bits into their reports and try to jam like those kinds of things into the project um like because like it's just you the laws are not like designed to like really function as like heritage preservation and so yeah. it's like you know there are like um archaeologists that give a shit all over the country they're trying to like patch up holes like that and it's like you know if we could enlist like an interested public in like trying to like fill in the gaps like where you can't from like within like the industry um I mean, I think that there's a lot of, um, a lot to say, even like, like within the framework of the law, like there are like public comments, like periods on like all of these projects and oh, yeah. like, like, and nobody or, weighs nobody, in on them. Nobody knows about them. If they do know about them, they're not aware of the archeology span part of it. They're like, yeah. thinking about like noise pollution or something. And like, like, how do we get like communities involved in like speaking up about projects that like they don't support because they're not because they're like gonna eminent domain steal your land, but because they care about the archaeology and they don't want archaeology <laughs> to be destroyed, you know? Like yeah. clearly, like the um the like educated but unengaged like group has been very successful in like getting people involved in the public comment process because they like, get all these people to come out and like really, really like come out against like stuff like TCPs and like coming out against like um, you know, stuff like bear's ears and things like where, what are we doing? Like, there's like a, this whole public like comment section that archaeology is not engaging with. Yeah. Um, and we could like really be, you know, putting our like boots on the ground, getting people like excited about archaeology and realizing that there are like things that they can do as not an archaeologist. Like if they want to get invested in their like communities, like history and heritage and like teaching them about like why like that history and that heritage matters for their community today um and i feel like a lot of people like sort of understand that like you know they have like attachments to like their hometown and things about their hometown and things about like the landscape but they can't like they don't like really like think about it the way that like heritage like managers do where we're thinking about how those places build identity and like build community and like trying to like help them articulate like if this project like destroys this historic building like what is that going to do to like the like heart and soul of the community like you can do something about it let's like you know i don't know like teaching 
people why it matters and getting them out. I just, I just occurred to me just now, it's like that's like, it, like within the system itself, but like it's right there and nobody's using it. Yeah. We um, had uh, on the Go Dig a Hole podcast, we had like three or four episodes where we just geeked out really hard on uh, the historic building codes just in the city of Portland. And it was, it was this maddening exercise that was like, we started looking at it for work reasons, but, uh, it was like, you pull on the thread and eventually you just got to keep pulling. So, uh, we kept going, but like our motivation was just understanding, um, like when does the public actually get to see this stuff? Like Mm -hmm. when do they get involved and like, how do they even know that this historic resource code is there and like there was a, a public comment period open on revisions to the historic resource code. And the, the thing about like that, but also like to tie it back into what we've been talking about is all of, all of like cultural resource management, like laws and like how archeologists work and like, what do you do when you find an artifact? Like all of that stuff is so opaque to everybody. Like, it's just so inaccessible to everyone. And so it's kind of like, yeah, there's a lot of gatekeeping in archeology span and we shut the public out. Um, but it's also like, it's just so hard to break into for, Uh and, and and that just kind of like dawned on me that it's, it's kind of like, uh, if I was someone who didn't know anything, if I was, if I was in the camp of like uneducated and disengaged and I found an artifact and I had to like go to Google and be like, what do I do now? Uh, I would get really frustrated. I mean, like I get frustrated with any like customer service type experience. Uh, like I, I got a bookshelf delivered the other day that was missing like the, the two like long sides of the bookshelf that hold the whole thing together. And it took me like an hour on, on customer service before I finally just gave up. And I was just like, I don't fucking care. Ugh, they do that on purpose. Yeah. For sure. And that's like, um, oh my God, I totally left my mind. Oh, well, like if you try it, part of it too, like the fact that it's so inaccessible, like getting this information, like for example, I guarantee you try to Google like, what do I do? I found an artifact. It's going to like take you to the like Shippo's website. And then what you're going to try to talk to the Shippo, like, good luck. I can't get the Shippo to respond to emails. Right. Have you seen the Shippo website? I'm an archeologist. I know what I'm looking for and I can't find it on the website. It's terrible. It's an awful website. It's like, yeah. So it's like, what are they going to do? They're going to Google it and be like, I don't know. How am I going to get in contact with this person? And like, and then they're like, you try to explain like, oh, well, you can't take those things because like, I mean, it's like, did you know it's illegal to collect artifacts on public land? Yeah. Oh, no, I didn't know that. And, but then like trying to explain to them like why, like, oh, it's because you lose all this information and da 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 and trying to explain that to them. And then they're like, yeah, but I don't get that information anyway. <laughs> it's like, you're going to lose the information, but who's losing it? I don't get it. Where is it? Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, so what information? Yeah. Like I, it's so hard to like explain to them why it matters if they're not getting any of the like benefits of why it matters because they are not reading American antiquity and like they're not like slogging through like paying like hundreds of dollars for institutional access so right. like, like what are they, like ugh. and then, then they're just reading pop archaeology because that's what's out there and that's what's free mm-hmm. and yeah this is like 
I was looking this up while I was talking because you mentioned talking about like historic building codes in Portland. And that reminded me of like one of the instances where I saw like the public trying to like take advantage of like cultural resource law for like the first time, like I was like shocked that I was like seeing it like from outside of an archeologist perspective where um, the original headquarters of the Black Panther Party in Oakland is they're trying to like tear it down and put up like apartments and condos oh. and stuff there. And um, one of the like like avenues that like these, like, you know, there's like a website with petitions and stuff on it. One of the avenues they were like looking at was like, like contacting the like city council of Oakland to get it like listed on the like local register so that Hell you yeah. like couldn't take, you couldn't put develop, you couldn't develop it into apartment buildings. Um, and I was like, yeah, that's like right there. Like, see, like people get it, but it was like, the part of the thing too was that like, they were like, oh, if we just get it listed, then they can't do anything to it. It's like, no, <laughs> it's like, no, that's just the like, start. <laughs> like, it's, so like, even then it's like, and you see that a lot too. I see people who are like really like invested in like protecting something and then they get mad because they think that the archeologists like screwed it up because it went through anyway. And like, they're like, oh, well the archeologists missed X, Y, and Z. And now they're building this pipeline. And can you believe it? The archeologists messed up. And it's like, no, the archeologists did their job. It was just that the agency looked at the report and went, I considered the impacts and then went on their merry way because it's like, they right. think that like, the identification of a site means that that project can't happen. And then yeah. when it does happen, they think that the archaeologists like missed the site or like underplayed it. And like, not saying that that doesn't happen, but it's also like that night, like I see so many like angry articles and like tweets about that all the time. And I'm like, no, yeah. that's not what was going on. No, they did like, their job. They did it well. And the project is still like within legal compliance. The yeah. It's just the, the problem is, you, you know, like you, you hear this a lot um, in like indigenous rights uh, yeah. context that consultation is not consent. And so it's like, you can have a project that's completely legal. It's, it's compliant with every law, but it is still not a benefit to the community. Well, and you don't even need to like actually talk to anybody to have legally done compliance because right. like you, you send, you send your letter, you send your email and you wait like the like however whatever law it is amount of days like and like <laughs> and they if they don't respond, respond you get to keep going that's consultation you did it buddy. the window closed like, you never spoke to anybody and you can say that yes i like legally have completed consultation check that box and then like and then the public understandably like sees like this project going through and the tribe is like yeah we didn't talk to anybody about that and they're like they totally did ignore the tribe and it's like no i mean they legally completed consultation. No, the, the email went out. Yeah, like, <laughs> Nobody answered it. But yeah, I, I, I called, um, I called them and their voicemail was full and there was no other way to get in contact with them. So I can, I mean, I try like yeah. that's, that's legally consultation and we're not like expected to go any further. Like, yeah. And it's back to that comment that we were talking about, about agencies where it, there's just no resources for people to follow through, you know, like anybody in a state or federal agency, uh, is, you know, like under, like woefully underpaid and just incredibly overworked and they're expected to stay on top of, I don't know, like I was talking to, uh, 
our favorite tribal historic preservation officer. And <laughs> she has, I forget how many projects, but it's just like hundreds of projects that are just like on her radar yeah. all the time. And, well, and I can't manage that kind of thing. Like, no. I'm just and one she person. Like every like other typo is working on projects that are also not cultural resource projects because there's just, right. like the tribe is stretched so thin that it's like, well, I guess I'm also trying to pay attention to all these other like environmental projects that have nothing to do with archaeology just because like, <laughs> and yeah, I'm supposed to keep track of all of this. And like, um, yeah. And then like, what am I supposed to do? Like I, in an ideal world, like you would like just keep following up until you've got somebody to talk to you. But it's like, I have like 11 projects going on and I don't have the time to like make a, like call them like, you know, like once every week until like, or like send multiple letters or like go out of my way to figure out like, like, are they in the, well, obviously you wouldn't do this now because there's no, you can't go into an office, but like, there's no way that like, you can like find out when they're like, when are they in the office? Like, can we schedule a meeting? I can show up and talk to you. And it's like, yeah, no, like you just don't have the time for that. Like, yeah. And if they, and then 30 days pass and it's like, well, sayonara, I did it. I gotta um, keep moving. Sorry. And yeah, I just like, it's one of those things where you'll see, I'll see in articles and like blogs and stuff, people will be like, this is in violation of the National Historic Preservation Act because they're building this road through an archaeological site. And it's like, I can see why you would be confused because the law does say historic preservation. So I can understand your confusion here, but this is not actually in violation of that law at all. <laughs> um, which is like a whole other, like, you know, I guess like, you know, that's this like sort of other, like very engaged, but like not, I don't want to say like uneducated because they're like much more educated. Like they understand like the value of like archaeology and heritage. They just don't like aren't familiar enough with like the laws to realize that that's like, the like constraints that archaeology is working in. They're like right. living, they're living in the world that I want to live in, where in their brains, archaeology laws are there to protect like archaeological sites. And I'm like, man, I wish I could live in that in that world where where like where that would be in violation of the National Historic Preservation Act. It's like that, uh yeah. I don't want to like totally like ruin your ruin your dreams <laughs> but like yeah it's not like oh man i, I, I had a conversation like that with a land developer uh many years ago uh who wanted to develop a site or develop uh, a subdivision on an archaeological site and it was a pretty big like it was it was on the national register of historic places and also just very important yeah. uh to the local tribe and this guy was in the camp of informed, like educated, but disengaged. Like yeah. he, he knew the laws. He just didn't care. He, yeah. he said, I would just want to build my subdivision. I'm, I'm going to get filthy rich off of this development and I'm going to move on to the next one. And so he said, he asked me, uh, is there anything that will stop me from building the subdivision? And I had to pause it could, like he, his question was in good faith. He said, if, if I go through every single step of this, of this process, is anything going to stop me? 
Is there anything so important that you find that I would actually have to not build this? Yeah. And so I I told him, I, I said, you know, at the end of the day, uh, anything is possible if you have enough money. Yeah. And that's the thing is if, if you want to, if you really want to keep developing in a location and money is no object to you. Yeah, sure. You can, you can go through every single stage of the process. You can go through like every single possible creative mitigation and just like standard mitigation, like data recovery. Yeah. Uh, for anybody who's not an archeologist data recovery is when like, you're going to build something on an archeological site and the only option to save the site is to completely excavate the entire site. And so that's, what's called a data recovery is, is that's Although, a type of mitigation is, is taking all of the data possible from the site before it's totally wiped out. Although in like reality, it's often like, we're going to take 15% of the site. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. It's a sample. <laughs> hopefully that's enough of a sample that we'll know what's going on. And then we'll never be able to look at it again. Cause you're going to put a building on top of it. Right. Um, and yeah. But yeah, like you can, you can do anything you want if there, if you have enough money, which is kind of sad, but uh, I mean, that just goes back to your point about how like there's the, the national historic preservation act uh, compels people to operate within a framework, but if you have enough money, you can just keep going to the next phase in the, in the process. Like I remember like when I took like a cultural heritage class in undergrad and I, we read the like, and we read section 106 Yeah, and I, and you like, we read like, we read lots of NHPA, but, um, when I read the line where it was like, yeah, you just have to consider the impacts. And I was like, that's what I like learned. I was like, oh no, it's all come crumbling down. <laughs> <laughs> it's like my vision of archaeology that I went into college with being like, you know, I'm gonna be an Egyptologist, I'm gonna work in the Mediterranean, and then start chipping that away. Okay, now we're working in the United <laughs> States. This is a, this is cool. And then I take that class and it's like actually it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. It's like at the end a rich construction guy can do really whatever he wants at the end of the day. And it's like, Oh, okay. There goes the last little spark of joy. (laughs) Yeah. So that little spark of joy that does remain, I think is in the public where you get to do archeology span that is not within a legal framework. Like there's no legal reason for the archeology span to be done. It's just, you want to do archaeology because you're genuinely curious and you want to, you want to get the most out of it. So like you get to involve the stakeholders. Yeah. You you just get to like do the archeology span of your dreams and like learn as much as as possible and take your time, drink some beer, eat some delicious bow buns. Um, You know? Yeah. Let's get some community archeology span going so that we can all have a reason to live. Yeah. Let me do my day job where I tell land developers anything is possible if you have money. Uh, yeah. And then let me do the fun archaeology, like that, like where money doesn't matter. Time doesn't matter. The results, yeah. like, you know, the, the results do matter, but the results do matter. It's like um, the archaeology version of the opening line of whose line is it anyway? <laughs> <laughs> like where the what is it like where the rules don't matter and i remember the whole thing but yeah 
I shouldn't have made a Who's Line reference without knowing the entire uh, intro to Who's Line. I'm going to have to Google this. Hold on. Uh, I'll I'll shorten this in editing. You're going to say it like from Who's Line is it anyway. Opening line. Something about the points don't matter. Yeah, the points don't matter. It's on the, the show where everything's made up and the points don't matter. <laughs> <laughs> That's the tagline. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> the show yeah. where the, the dig where the budget's made up and the and the timeline doesn't matter timeline doesn't matter <laughs> like i want to i have time for one day every weekend to dig like half a unit <laughs> right <laughs> the world's longest project but we're gonna you don't done. care what happens here for a while right <laughs> like we could just dig until we're done and we don't have to go fast right like I can leave this hole open as long as I want, right? Yeah. Oh my god. Uh. Well, you had one more point about your contribution to public archaeology that I feel like needs needs to be made. It's, it's in the notes. Oh god! <laughs> I put this in as like a total joke because I gave this to you to like read. Um. Yeah. I. Uh, oh, no. my, my. This is and this is true because I have to explain what cultural resource management is multiple times a week basically because uh, my biggest contribution to public archaeology is being on dating apps and every single time somebody asks what do you do for work even though it's in my profile right there so yeah. i don't know why people ask because they because they don't read the profile and then i have to explain well so you've heard of an environmental like compliance study, right? Like, you know, the spotted owls that you can't build on top of. Okay, now imagine it's an archaeological site and you can build on top of it. Because <laughs> I do get, I'll, I'll, I'll like explain it, like with the environmental impact thing and people will be like, oh, so you keep archaeological sites from being destroyed. And I say, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just make them more expensive to destroy. Exactly. Um, I just try to learn as much about it as I can before it's destroyed. Yeah. Um, yeah, like truly that is my biggest contribution to public archaeology because I have to explain it literally constantly. So this is to all the single archaeologists out there. Get on dating apps and start explaining to people <laughs> what it is that you do. <laughs> you don't have to get any farther than that. You just go ahead and ghost them right after, but they'll know what archaeology is. That is public outreach. <laughs> there we go. Don't ghost them too mean, though, because then they'll think that we're mean. <laughs> Right, yeah. Like a sort of subtle, polite, you know, sneaking out the door or ghosting. Yeah. With with my new role in uh it more sales focused, uh the the other CRM has come up a lot more, the customer relation management. The and so I'm constantly stuff. having to go, no, it's the other CRM. And they're like, wait, you're dealing with both. Like, which one are you talking about? And I'm like, yeah. the the cultural resource management and they go, Oh, and I go, but I'm going to put it in the CRM. And they're just like, stop, <laughs> stop it. CRM, CRM and CRM and CRM. And it goes all the way down to the maximum efficiency. Right. <laughs> I don't know anything about the other CRM, except that every time I try to Google archeology span CRM, it pops mm -hmm. up. Or every time I like, you know, hashtag CRM on my Twitter, and it's like, oh, you're interested in this kind of stuff? And I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you want to use HubSpot or Salesforce? No, no. Absolutely no. not. 
Oh, the bane of my existence. The other bane of my existence is the other SAA, which I'll type in SAA without thinking, and it comes up with Sex Addicts Anonymous. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's the top search for SAA. I'm like, oh, damn it. Got me again. <laughs> Every <Whoops>. time. <laughs> <laughs> On the work computer again. Oh, like, man. I'm either an archaeologist or I'm like a really like logistically oriented sex addict, because that's what I'm Googling is CRM <laughs> and SAA. <laughs> 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 bringing it back to the dating app. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, on that very professional note. <laughs> That's a perfect ending to the podcast. That's how we end every podcast. I was rusty with the opening. Like I, I had to kind of like stumble back into the opening as, you know, brushing the dust off, but that's a, a fun sign off. Rock solid sign off. It's always, it's always got to be something like that. Awesome. Excellent. It, yeah. You gotta have one of those like cheesy signups where it's like, no, go get out there and dig a hole, but and call go USA first. Dig a hole. <laughs> go dig a hole, but call 811 first. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like don't put a shovel into a power line. It's going to be bad. 